Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Empty Set Entertainment presents Slay. Created by Scott Sigler and Rob Otto. Performed by Scott Sigler. This story is intended for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, junkie. I am now 10% into the first draft of The Crypt, book two. Now, I don't have a title for it yet other than book two, but the naming of this one is important to me as the book market in general seems to think the series is only military sci-fi and not sci-fi horror, which it is. Okay. If you want to be specific, it's military sci-fi cosmic horror. There is some absolutely bonkers shit coming your way in this series. 2024 is kicking my ass so far. I'm working on Crypt Book 2's first draft. I'm in the middle of Slay Season 2. Warpath requires a second draft, which will be on me very shortly. And then the final draft of GFL 7 is out there waiting for me, taunting me, saying, Hey, Scott! Come over here, but I can't do it. I can't do it right now. I keep trying to get my career to the point where I'm only doing one project at a time. And with that project, having all the time I want to work on it. But writing is a business, y'all. And you got to strike while the iron is hot. I figure I'm screwed at least through Q2 of 2024. But, you know, realistic. you have to be realistic about these things. I am screwed all the way through Q4. But in 2025, this time I'm serious. I am taking some time off. But for now, there's the supernatural underskin issues afoot in the city of Lumencia where Lincoln Franks does his thing. Let me get you caught up on the story so far, and then we're all going to go do some online shopping. Previously on Slay, serial kidnapper Teddy Two Fingers tried to abduct 13-year-old Delilah Droman from the mansion where she lives with her father, the billionaire wizard Kellius Droman. Lincoln foiled that attempt, driving off Teddy and two members of his gang, Hymana, a mage, and Agmetha, a brawler with long, dangerous claws. In the battle, Lincoln cut off Agmetha's left arm below the elbow. Afterwards, Kelly Stroman agreed to train Billy in the ways of magic in exchange for Lincoln serving as Delilah Stroman's bodyguard when Kelly was away from home. Now, Billy is in Cordis at Kelly's Nonagon, ready for his first training session, while Lincoln returns to the Stroman mansion for his first shift protecting Delilah. Droman had swapped his expensive suit for robes that looked even pricier. Forest green with dark green trim that bordered on black. His gray threaded hair and neat beard looked just as pimp as it had back at the old stone church. Billy, on the other hand, wore plain white robes Morgan had given him. They fit okay as far as he could tell. 
he felt like an idiot in them. Throw on a pointy hood, and he'd fit right in at a Klan rally. The people who tell you to focus do not know what they are doing, Kelly Stroman said. Damn, but this guy was intimidating. Billy had three inches on him, yet even when looking down at him, it felt like looking up at a far more imposing figure. Droman oozed quiet power and total confidence. Controlling your power isn't about focusing, Walter, he said. It's about staying calm. It was bad enough Billy couldn't use his real name without this green-eyed wizard insisting on calling him Walter instead of just Walt. But to be here, to learn from a real wizard, it was a small price to pay. Afraid being calm ain't my strong suit, Billy said. I'll try. Droman gestured to the space around them. Amateurs and dolts try, he said. Children try. People like me make progress. My learning is never done. My full power will forever be just out of reach. Look around you, Walter. Does this look like a place where people try? Billy hadn't been able to stop looking around. This shit was straight out of some Harry Potter training montage. The Nonagon was, indeed, a nine-sided room. So sprawling in size, Billy had to wonder if there was a sport in Cordis he'd never heard of, and this was a pro team's former practice space. The walls were made from gnarled, interweaving vines, each so large, Billy couldn't put his arms around one and touch his fingers on the other side. Those walls curved inward and sloped up to a glittering green hunk of crystal, the size of a minivan dangling some hundred feet above the tip of a 20-foot-high onyx pillar that rose up from the sandy floor. The crystal blazed with light. Not so bright you couldn't stare right at it, but bright enough to illuminate the nonagon, like it was an early morning on a cloudless day. Looks like a hell of a place to throw a party, Billy said. Link told me that you made bushes come to life and attack him, and that you made some vine golem thing. And the walls here, I, I take it your power's all about, well, just plants? Droman raised an eyebrow. Just plants? Do you not find plants to be compelling and fascinating, Walter? Billy felt like he was getting off to a bad start. No, 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 plants are cool, he said. My roomie Magda, she fucking loves plants. Droman's green eyes narrowed. Billy cringed, remembering too late Morgan's warning. Leave the street talk on the surface, Droman said. Yes, sir, I'm sorry. Droman paused for a moment, studying Billy, as if wondering if Billy was being genuine. Apology accepted, Droman said. Yes, Miss Magdalene likes plants. One plant in particular above all others, judging from the smell of where you live. But to answer your question, Walter, Flora is merely the loom that shapes my mesh. Loom? Like, like for filaments and fibers? Correct, Droman said. A loom is akin to a theme, providing a framework upon which weavers weave. Most weavers are affinitas, which means they have an affinity for magic, but can't produce filaments internally. A naturalist, on the other hand, can produce filaments internally. I am a naturalist, as are you, William Middleton. 
Billy started to speak, stopped, became aware his jaw was hanging open. He closed it. Yes, I know your real name, Troman said. Morgan is adept at researching particular things. Relax. I am taking you on as a neophyte, which means I am bound to protect your secrets just as you are bound to protect mine, particularly on the things I will teach you. Are you ready to begin? Billy nodded. Good, Droman said. The wizard reached into his robes and pulled out a thick scroll. First, you must put your mark upon the waiver, Droman said. Uh, waiver? Indemnifying me, my companies, and my dependents against lawsuits for injury, Droman said, and against blood feuds should you die in training, any liability for damage to you that might devalue your soul if you've already contracted said soul to a third party, against general maiming or crippling, amputations, or loss of genitalia. It's the usual boilerplate. The usual boilerplate? Billy shook his head. Losing my junk ain't usual, Mr. Droman. Droman gently took Billy's hand, put the scroll in his palm. If you don't mock the waiver, I won't train you, Droman said. Don't worry, it's quite perfunctory. The odds of you sustaining a life-altering injury really aren't all that high. Aren't all that high. A rousing endorsement of safety if Billy had ever heard one. He opened the scroll and eyeballed the densely worded, handwritten script, cringing at the indemnification clause that included words like death, decapitation, evisceration, hemorrhoids, severe halitosis, accidental gender change, and, yes, unexpected castration, just to name a few. Maybe I should have Ariella look this over, Billy said. That's fine, William. I'm sure I can get you rescheduled for this crucial first training in another month or so. Another month? Billy didn't want to wait another month. He didn't want to wait another minute. Vestinian was out there, somewhere, looking for him. Where do I sign? Roll up the scroll, press it to your chest, and say, I accept this contract as binding. Billy knew he needed to do so fast before the smarter part of his brain, the one screaming, let a lawyer look at it, you idiot, kicked in. He pressed the scroll to his chest. It pulsed, throbbed in time with his own heartbeat. I accept this contract as binding, Billy said. The scroll heated up. He felt the warmth through his robes, on his chest, in his chest. It glowed briefly, an emerald green. Then light and heat both vanished. Droman took the scroll, slid it back into his robes, then gestured to the onyx pillar rising up from the sand floor's center. You have made the right choice, William, he said. Step to the pylon of pain and let us begin. Ariella was sitting in her heavy office chair, Baphomol's big binder of bounties open on the desk in front of her. Magda was seated in one of two brand new leather chairs. 
They looked expensive. Plastic chairs from Target would have done the trick, but Ariella didn't ask for anyone's input or permission. This'll be your first time as Lincoln's virtual wingman, so you choose, Ariella said. Pick one that brings in something of value, though. How about this? She turned the binder and slid it across the desk. The binder page showed a sketch of a muscled creature covered in thick white fur in a cave, gnawing on the foot of a leg that had been ripped out of a hip socket. The Wendigo in Wisconsin, Magda said. No, not this time. But it's 300 gold. Magda flipped the page. Did you say I could pick or not? Ariella grimaced. I did, but you should pick that one. It's 300 gold, I know, Magda said. She stared directly at Ariella and slowly flipped the page. Irritated, Ariella pursed her lips but said nothing. Magda looked at the new page. It showed a sketch of a wild-haired, dead-eyed woman, a snake wrapped around her chest and neck. She held up the tail and the head as if offering it to anyone stupid enough to hear her words. This is the one, Magda said. Aloha in Louisiana. Ariella half stood, leaned closer to the binder. Fifteen gold? That's not much. Magda shrugged. Well, it ain't much of a monster. Gotta watch out for the lowest boa, though. Link should be able to handle it. And I should be able to handle it as well with the words that went unspoken. Ariella sat back down, heavier than she needed to, making her battleship of a chair rattle. You sure you can't find a bounty that's a little more dangerous? If by dangerous you mean richer, no, I can't, Magda said. I haven't done this monster hunting shit in years. Can you let me get, I mean, will? You let me get one under my belt before we go after bigger targets? She had almost asked Ariella for permission. Ariella was not the boss. She only acted like she was. Ariella pulled the binder back across the desk. The business acumen that you and Lincoln shows goes a long way to explaining the condition of this church. Before I arrived, anyway. She closed the binder patted the human leather cover. Oh, well, gotta walk before you can run, right? Something like that, Magda said. When is Lincoln's shift with Delilah up? Midnight. He and Billy should get home about the same time. Midnight. Perfect. Lincoln always liked hunting in the wee hours. Magda stood. I better go take a nap. Don't want to be drowsy my first day back in the game. Ariella nodded, gestured to the door. Get some rest. The woman had somehow dismissed Magda, despite it being Magda's decision to leave. Ariella just had to control things, even when things weren't in her control. Let her think what she wanted. Magda really did need some sleep. Come midnight, Lincoln would go hunting. And for the first time in a long time, Magda would be with him. In spirit, at least. But that was better than nothing. She hoped. 
In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. The sound of crying, terrified children seeped through the wooden door. Some people complained about the sound. Not Teddy Two Fingers. To him, it sounded like music. It sounded like money. When Hymana's flying giant centipede had snatched up Agmetha, it had grabbed her severed arm as well. A naked Agmetha lie on her back atop a thick table, her right hand clutching her severed left forearm and hand to her chest like a child holding a stuffed animal she believed would chase away some intangible evil. Hymana stood by her side, swaying slightly, a vision of dark mesh and dangerous sex with her long cornrows brushing Agnetha's skin. Hymana, Agnetha said, looking up at her with wide eyes. Can, can you fix me? The tremor in Agnetha's voice sickened Teddy. Did she think she was the first person to be maimed? Of course, darling, Hymana said. Just be still. Hymana had such a soothing voice. And that body of hers, the way those silk kimonos she wore hugged her curves. Not that Teddy would ever put his cock in that crazy. Her mesh took the form of insects. Who knew what magical bugs might be hidden away inside that coochie? Oh, all right, Agnetha said. Can we, can we have more light in here? I don't like the dark. If she didn't like the dark, she shouldn't have agreed to Teddy's terms. He did operate his business in a literal dungeon, after all. Hymana petted Agnetha's sweat-slick forehead. You know I'm not fond of the light, Hymana said. Just rest. It will be over soon. You'll be as good as new. I promise. Agnetha opened her mouth to say something else, but fell asleep, her head tilting to the side. Hymana turned and floated toward Teddy. Damn, even the way she moved, and those pale blue eyes, all blacked up like she was heading to a goth rave. I put her to sleep so we could talk, Hymana said. 
I can't reattach Agnetha's arm. Something about Franks's blade is dark magic. Its filament residue blocks any proper healing. As if Teddy needed to be told that. Teddy checked his watch, reminding himself for the hundredth time to switch the watch to his left wrist. When on his right, he couldn't avoid looking at the gnarled stubs where his ring finger and pinky had once been. We need to be at the next target in three hours, 12 minutes, he said. Can you have her back in action by then? Hymana glanced over her shoulder at Agnetha, who remained asleep, her forearm stump resting on her naked breast. I can. Hymana looked at Teddy with those, I will fuck you straight to hell and you'll thank me for eternal damnation eyes. But in that short time frame, it might not be what she hoped for. Like Teddy gave a shit. Life's a bitch, he said. Have her ready to fight. Frank's fucked up our first choice for foreman, so we move to number two. I'm not missing this one, Hymana. You understand? She smiled. Of course. I will have her ready. And you're sure that Droman can't track us here? I was his neophyte for five years, Hymana said. I know his mesh almost as well as he does. He can't find us here, Teddy. No one can. You know that. She was right. He had picked this place for a reason. I am more worried about Franks, Hymana said. He's not a mesh worker, yet he found us at Droman's. Can he find us again? He got lucky. I think that prick Thoko ratted us out. I'll deal with him soon. As for Franks, he's been looking for me for years. He'll lose focus soon enough and crawl back into the bottle. You get Agnetha ready. We've got clients. We need the factory fully stocked. If we don't get another foreman for the overnight shift, we'll fall behind. I will keep us on schedule, Imana said. The corner of her mouth curled up into a seductive grin. I want to hurt Kellius Droman. You promise me that we can take another shot at his daughter? She framed it in a question, but in reality it was a demand. Help like her didn't come along often. As powerful as Hymana was, Teddy did not want to make an enemy of her, as Droman had. You know we will, he said. Get to work. Hymana nodded once, then turned toward the table, her kimono swishing out around her, giving him a brief view of her legs. Those, too, were all kinds of fine. Teddy opened the door, sighing in the glorious, money-making cacophony of fear. He stepped into the hall and closed the door behind him. The full tour of the mansion took over an hour. Delilah let it, clearly excited to show off her home, pulling Lincoln by his hand from room to room. Morgan Stone followed silently at a short distance. Lincoln couldn't blame Kellyus for having Morgan keep a watchful eye, at least at first. Kellyus did think Lincoln was a killer, after all, and he was right about that. The mage trusted Lincoln enough to hire him but not enough to leave him alone with his 13-year-old daughter. That was fine. 
Lincoln was here to do a job. Kellyus obviously thought Morgan could stop Lincoln from doing, well, whatever Lincoln might want to do. That indicated Morgan had some horsepower under the hood. All physical, all magic, or a combination of both, Lincoln couldn't say. The mansion was impressive, to say the least. Lincoln had stared in disbelief at the huge ballroom, the formal dining room, the bowling alley, the meshwork labs, the greenhouse, the library, and more. It wasn't just gawking. He needed to know the layout of the place in order to protect Delilah. He wanted to see the full grounds as well, but Morgan said that would have to wait until Kellyus had the time to show him. There were too many magic defenses dotted throughout. Delilah had saved her rooms for last. Rooms, plural. The big pink room was only her parlor. Delilah Droman, 13, lived in a suite. Her bathroom was bigger than Lincoln's entire bedroom in the Old Stone Church. Her walk-in closet held more clothes, shoes, and accessories than Lincoln and Magda, combined, had owned in their entire lives. And this is my bedroom, Delilah said. I like purple, too. Her four-poster bed looked like something out of a fairy tale. It was all in shades of purple, as were the dresser and the makeup stand with its three large, lighted mirrors. The carpet was purple, as were the walls. Just past the dresser, a closed door. Probably another closet. When Lincoln had been Delilah's age, he'd lived in a 10-foot by 10-foot stone room within the bastion's walls. His closet had been a hook that held his training robe. As for a bathroom, sure, he'd had a private one, which he happened to share with the other 15 trainees in his group. Blazing hells, Delilah, he said. Your place is so tiny. How can a person live in such squalor? Her chin tilted down and to the right. She gave Lincoln a well-practiced side-eye. I'm fully aware that others have less than I, Mr. Franks. I'd appreciate it if you'd avoid snide comments about the financial situation into which I was born and over which I have no control. Lincoln laughed. <laughs> into which? Over which? Financial situation? The other 13-year-olds talk like you these days. Delilah shrugged. I can't speak for others, only for myself. Maybe this girl wasn't the spoiled brat he'd assume she was. That's fair, he said. I'll try to not give you shit about being richer than Taylor Swift. Daddy hired her to play my 12th birthday party, Delilah said. It was fun. Fuck a duck. Just how much were the Dromans worth? All this bounty, all this splendor, while Sam was trapped on the shelf. Lincoln pushed that thought away. Delilah had nothing to do with Sam's situation, nor did Kellyus. Well, I just hope you appreciate what you have, Lincoln said. Your rooms are really fucking nice. The sound of a throat being softly cleared. Lincoln turned to see Morgan Stone, standing a few feet away. He'd forgotten she was there. Or he was there. Whatever. 
Language, if you please, Mr. Franks, Morgan said. Mr. Droman does not like cursing. Delilah crossed her arms. Daddy is not fucking here, is he, Morgan? Lincoln is my bodyguard, not yours. He can talk as he fucking sees fit. For the first time Lincoln had seen, Morgan's face showed an actual emotion. Annoyance. Clearly, there was some ongoing tension between these two. Delilah grabbed Lincoln's hand. I saved my favorite room for last. Want to see? There was even more to this place. Lead on, Macduff, Lincoln said. Actually, it's lay on, Macduff, Delilah said. It's oft misquoted. Oft misquoted? The girl had a dictionary for a brain. Delilah pulled Lincoln to the closed door. She opened it to reveal a room, yes, yet another room, with a widescreen TV, a couch, packed bookshelves, and a desk with four large monitors and a wild-looking purple and pink ergonomic chair. Have a seat at the desk, Delilah said. I want to show you something really cool. As Lincoln stepped into the room, Delilah blocked the door with her body just as Morgan tried to enter. Yeah, no, Delilah said. Members only. Sorry. Morgan's androgynous face showed a second emotion. Anger. Delilah, your father told me to. In the same fast motion, Delilah stepped back and slammed the door. She ran her fingers down the frame. Pale green meshwork energy sparkled. Delilah, Morgan called out. Your father said you're not supposed to lock your door. Delilah rolled her eyes and let out the most put-upon sigh Lincoln had ever heard. <sighs> I'll call you if I need you, Morgan, she said. I'm good for now. Thanks. Bye-bye. Okay, maybe she was a little spoiled. Delilah grabbed Lincoln's hand and pulled him toward the desk. Sit. Honestly, you'll love this. He sat in the chair. A computer keyboard lie on the desktop, decorated in purple and pink stickers. This is where I do my gaming and shopping, Delilah said. You told Daddy you needed a new motorcycle. I thought you and I could shop for it together. I saved a few pages. She tapped the space bar. The four screens flared to life, showing sights for Harley-Davidson, Curtis, Arc Vehicle, Damon, Ducati, Augusta, and, ooh, how nice, Verge, the maker of his previous ride. I also took the liberty of contacting some custom shops in Cordis, Delilah said. They can modify what you pick out. If Daddy has to be away making money all the time, the least I can do is spend some of it for him. Wouldn't you agree, Mr. Franks? A touch of bitterness to her words. So Delilah's current form of teenage rebellion was to spend way more than she should? He could get behind that. He certainly could. Delilah, my old friend, you can call me Lincoln. You have been listening to Slay, 
Created by Scott Sigler and Rob Otto. Performed by Scott Sigler. Copyright 2024, Empty Set Entertainment. For more info on Scott Sigler, his novels, short stories, and podcasts, visit scottsigler.com. Theme music is the song They're Watching Me by the band Super Weapon. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.